Good morning, everyone. It's really good to have you here. We're beginning a new series this morning called Positive Identity. It's all based on this, this concept that your view of God and your view of yourself will really determine how you view the world around you. And uh, I talk to people all the time inside as well as outside of the church who really don't have a positive view of God or a positive view of themselves. And uh, the, the reality of this is too many of us have a negative view of God where we see him as primarily the hand of judgment waiting for us to mess up. And so therefore the basis of our relationship with God is, is just don't mess up. And as long as you're not messing up, you're doing well with him. And uh, therefore, it's all based on shame and guilt. And uh, therefore, when you come to religion or when you come to a place like this, you see God is good. You're bad. Don't be, you know, be good. Don't be bad. And it's that whole picture of performance in a relationship with God. And some of us, some of us have this from a church we grew up in where um, we're you had, you were hurt by it, or you had, you, you were so based on your own righteousness and you would compare yourself with other Christians in that church. And if you were really good, then you, you saw yourself as spiritually elite. And because you have this view of God that it's all about our performance, that we have a relationship with him. Others of us have just a, a very negative view of ourselves where when we've come to Christ, we realize how bad we are and we kind of stop there. We don't, we don't carry that forward into how does God see us and how does God, who does God call us after we come to him. So we always view our lives in what we don't have. I'm not as good as you. I don't go to church as much as you. I don't give in the offering as much as you. I'm not involved in church as much as you. So... We constantly compare ourselves to others and we live to perform or stay on top of the others or or be, we stop trying and we kind of go passive and we feel pathetic. And so we disconnect, if not physically, emotionally from what is God doing in our lives. And some of us grew up with a critical family where we could never perform to a level of acceptance from our own parents. So when we come to God, we just think it's a continuation of our family lives. And we just go, what in the world? I mean, if he's holy, how can I ever have a chance with him? And we can, um, we can also have a, a picture that, that because we fail so much, we just rebel. And we stop coming. And that's happening all around us is this low view of ourselves with Christ. And that's why every one of us needs to know this. I need to know, and you need to know, that we are loved by God. Can you just say that personally? I am loved by God. Can we say that again so that everyone can? I am loved by God. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are loved by God. See, that's an important thing. We don't say that enough. We talk about it, but we don't say it enough. It affects. And so over these next five weeks, we're going to be God-informed by the scriptures. And, and we need to be God-informed because we have God's love letter to us. We find out who is God, and it, it shows us the perspective of who we are. And the reality is, is, can I just be honest with you? We are far worse off than we think. We are. 
Because we're accountable to a holy God. But we're far more loved than we could ever imagine by this God. We've got to keep that in perspective. Our view of God and our view of ourselves. And so what we're going to hopefully construct over these next five weeks is this accurate view of God resulting in a, a greater faith, a greater trust in Him, and an honest view of ourselves resulting in a greater hope. Hope for reality in, in the present and hope for the reality in the future. We need to be God-informed by the Scriptures because why? Because God formed us. God formed us. And so, therefore, he needs to speak into our lives. And so that's what I want to do right now. In Psalm 139, 13 and 14, it says this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. David was just realizing the what theologians call the omniscience of God, the all-knowledge, the all-knowing God that we have. God knows everything about us. Everything about us. And to love someone, you need to know them. To lust after someone, you just need to see them. There's a difference. God knows everything about us. And as we see, just the, the intimate knowledge of God, that even when we were being formed, God knew us. In Ephesians, we were even chosen before the foundation of the world to be in love. To be loved by God. To be loved by God. That's the whole picture. A God who knows everything about us. As Proverbs 15.3 says, that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the evil and good. We can try to deceive others, but we cannot deceive God. He sees all and he knows all. Now we and you and... You and I are, are, are fully known by God. There's nothing, there's nothing about us that's hidden before God. Some people just kind of freak out with that. And they go, whoa, he knows everything about me. See, I'll never measure up to him. But what does God do with the inside scoop he has on each of us? Well, he chooses to love us anyway. How does God love us? Well, that's where we're going to be this morning. So open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3 kind of shows us how does God love us. And if we would not just believe this, but live like this, life would be different. Because love changes. Love changes our lives and it changes our world around us. In First John chapter 3 verse 1 it says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now let's read and unpack this of what, what this passage is saying, but I want to call your attention to the first word of chapter 3. It says, see. Some of your translations have behold, and behold is probably a better word for this, because what comes after it is a Greek construct, because the New Testament was originally written in Greek, that, that has some significant meaning, because it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That construct of see what kind of love is actually repeated in Matthew chapter 8 verse 27 where Jesus calmed the storm in the boat with the disciples. 
and he spoke and the wind stopped blowing and the waves started to cease and it became calm because of the voice of Jesus. And everyone drew back when they saw that miraculous event happen and they went, whoa, what kind of guy is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Same construct. So John is bringing that out. John, who was in the boat with Jesus, is bringing that out. What kind of man, what kind of manner of man is this that would calm the wind and waves? And he goes, look, see what manner of love that God has given to us. It's foreign. It's not of this world. It's supernatural. We've got to get our mind around it that God's love is not our love. God's love is not the love of this world. And it declares to us and it informs us that we are loved by God. This is unique to the biblical Christian faith. Because as I've traveled this world and I've seen all the major religions of this world, they do not approach religion and they do not approach God with love. They approach him as higher and authority and justice and holiness and righteousness. Don't tick him off. So your religious quest is all about satisfying the anger of the gods, whatever they may be. Not ticking off the God to make bad things happen to you. It's sin management outside of biblical Christianity. But here, biblical Christianity is defined by love. And therefore, Paul, I mean, John writes it out and says, look what kind of love that the Father has given to us that declares to us that we are the children of God. And then he says it over and over. So we are. You are. You're a child of God. If you put your faith in Christ, all the brokenness in our lives cannot erase the commitment of God to love us. So when you see God's holiness, you do realize you are worse off than you thought. But when you see God's love who enters into the brokenness of sin in our lives and continues to love us, you see God's relentless love. Who's willing to plow through our junk. In order to to make something that's broken beautiful. That's his love. And it declares to us, you're not just a friend. You're not just an acquaintance. He's not just someone who's okay with you. He's your father. You're his child. It's not of this world. The world has its own definition. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But God has revealed his. And who is he? He's loving. And in relationship to him, we're loved. We're loved. And this love is just not a, a love for the now. It's also an enduring love. It will love. He will love us in the future. God's love has a future. Because it says when he appears, we will enter unhindered into his love. We will be like him. We won't be him. We won't be a God, but we will be like him. We will also love like he loves. And therefore, it makes a difference. That's why, for if we hope in this, We purify ourselves just as he is pure in his love to us. So what is love? Just jump, have your eyes jump down to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, and read this with me. It says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you're looking for a great Scrabble word, propitiation will be one of them. But what it literally means is that it... It literally was a payment that Christ was a payment for our sin that's fully satisfied. 
fully satisfied your heavenly father. So that with Christ, there is nothing in the way. You're loved. You're loved. So you are fully known by God and you are completely loved by God. Those are two values that we we have to know. And that is the quest of everyone's heart in this room to be fully known and fully loved. It makes a difference. I'm fully known and completely loved by God. And there's this resistance in me when I deal with people. And I see it all the time in people I I counsel and people I live with and people I process life with, that if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. If you really saw what I what I dealt with in life, if you really knew my thoughts, if you really saw how I am, you wouldn't you wouldn't like me. Well, God does. God does see everything about you and he chooses to love you anyway. See, relationships grow the more you know and the more you speak love into those kind of hidden areas of our lives. And this fear of being known in each of us gets in the way of how we love. It results in a failure to love and to be loved. And so what we find ourselves when we're disconnected from God's love is just on another quest to cast an image of the best side of us and to hide and cover the worst so that you only see what I'd like you to see. That's why Facebook is so popular because we can cast an image of ourselves of the best side of us. Rarely do we get one of those statuses of, I really messed up today. Here's what I did. We don't do that. We brag about our kids. We show the best side of who we are because we want to be loved. And it's a synthetic love to do that. To do that without full knowledge and full love, completely being loved. And so that's why we always need to realize the truth that God loves us. He loves us. And the three attributes of God's love that are in these passages are this. Number one, I'm loved unconditionally. Unconditionally. In other words, I made up this word, performance-less. You don't need performance with God. If you're approaching God where you just don't want to mess up, then being here at church is important to you. You got to be here because God likes people who go to church each week. And he just, you're going to have a better week because God looks down from heaven and said, ah, you went to church. Check that box. Did you pray today? Yes. Good. Okay. Did you get in the word? Yes. Good. These are all things that I'll love you more if you do. And you know what? That's not true. God loves us performanceless. It says it in 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God. So it's not based on our performance, but that he loved us. Why does God love you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why he loves me. I don't know why he loves me, but he does. That's why I have to be informed by the scriptures. And I have to realize God loves me. How did he display his love? Christ came. He gave us that. And that's the second thing. God loves me sacrificially. He saw my sin and fully knows me, but then he fully loved me in Christ. Romans 5 says, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, in other words, he didn't wait for us to perform, Christ died for us. That's the sacrificial love of Jesus. It's 
priceless. It's priceless. I could not be perfect to satisfy the righteous requirement of God. Jesus was perfect. The only Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. I could not die and pay the price for my sin. Even if I died, I couldn't pay the price. Jesus did die and fully satisfied. He was the propitiation, full satisfaction of God's righteous requirement. Who provided that? God, the one who is both just and the justifier of the ungodly. That's who God is. His love changes everything for us. Not only are we loved unconditionally and sacrificially, we're also loved eternally. It's a timeless love. It's an enduring, relentless love. In other words, there's never going to be a time when God ceases to love you. See, we've got to be connected. Our world's not thinking like this. There's never a time on your worst day, God still loves you. On your best day, God still loves you. It's just as ridiculous as it would be for your child to go, hey, when I mess up, do you love me less? You would go, no, I love you. I'm committed. You're my child. Our heavenly father says on your worst day, I love you. Sometimes we need to know that. Because Satan's work in our lives is to really attach God's love with the system of this world. He uses us, boy, you messed up. Oh, stop going to church because only good people go to church. Oh, you got to pull away from that because you don't measure up. You'll never measure up. You're never going to be who you say you are. See, God's love is timeless. It's eternal. And that's why we need to realize, just as we draw back, the two systems of love that you're presented to live in every day. And your view of love really changes things. It's the world system or God's kingdom. In the world system, number one, you love to get. You love to get. This is shown in the single world or even single again world. When when singles walk into a room and they scan, guys kind of scan and they do the visual scan and immediately... They, they condense the women down into the attractive ones and the unattractive ones. And they make their decisions. I want to get to know that one. Why? Because guys, most guys, want a, want a girl who they look good with. Who's attractive to them. See, they want to get someone who makes them look good. And just so you're not thinking I'm leaving you out, when a single woman scans a room... Most women look for security and strength. A person she can rely on who will be faithful because she wants to get security. See, we show up with the wrong motive into relationships. Now, this is what happens, and it's normal. But, but the reality is, is when you commit to someone, you cannot commit on how they'll look with you. And you cannot commit on how secure you'll feel with them. You have to commit on your willingness to give to them the rest of your life. Not to get from them. And marriages that are based on that assumption, to get, will always struggle. Those who show up and have a commitment to give are healthy. See, God's system, it's that whole, God's kingdom is, is where we love 
to give. Let me just say one thing, just so you singles don't think I'm picking on you. The same happens in our marriages. See, when I, excuse me, when most guys enter the house at the end of the day, we think about what's for dinner. Why? Because that's her responsibility. And when, when the wives and the husband shows up and the wife's been at home all day, she usually goes, who's going to help with the kids tonight? So we do this. It's that expectation that you're home now. You're here to give me something because I've given. And when we give, it's usually in a response. It's usually in a desire that we'll get something from you if I give. So that's why we keep score. and We keep stats. I was nice to her this morning. I said hello to her when I walked in the room. She better be nice to me tonight. And we keep score. And when she's not nice or she's in a bad mood, we kind of go, what did I do to deserve this? We go, unfair. You're not loving me. And it just becomes like cancer in a relationship. And we keep score. We're much easier to say, you didn't love me here. You weren't sensitive to me there. You weren't caring there. You weren't sacrificial there. Very easy then for you to look at your own mirror of a life and how you've been self-absorbed. See, we've got to have God's kingdom of love in our lives in order for us, us, to, us to not only receive, but to reflect his love. That's why it's so important on the system of love where you're drawing from. And on your own, apart from Jesus, you're always going to draw from the world system. It's always going to be, you didn't love me the way I need to be loved. But with Christ, it can be about loving to give. That's why it's so important. Where you draw love will determine who you love and how you love. I find this so, so true in my life. It's when I'm drawing from God's love that I really can love people who don't look like me, believe like me, act like me, think like me. In the world system... It's how many people I can get around me who are just like me, who look like me and talk like me and like me. (laughs) Where you're drawing is important. That's where we all need to be connected. Have you received God's love into your life? It begins at the cross where God loved you so much he gave everything you need to have a relationship with him. Everything. His love is enough. And when you have his love, you have everything you need. Not only to be loved, but then to love others. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, 2, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. See, when our lives are sourced by God's love, we can love others. But yet when we're in the world or we're self-sourced, it's impossible. That's why I pray every day. And And if you pray for me, here's what I want you to pray. That I would love, I would love Jesus more than anyone else in this world. I pray that for my wife. I've got my prayer list that I I go through each day. And I pray for Cheryl. That Lord, instead of me praying, you know, help her love me. (laughs) Which is kind of a temptation. Lord, I want her to love you more than anyone else in her life. Because when, when we're praying that for our wives or for our husbands or for our children, 
And I do that with each of my kids. Lord James, help. I pray that he would love you more than anyone else in this world. That he he would love and, and respond to your love today. I pray for Jack. Lord, I pray that you would, he would love you more than anyone else. Nathan, I pray that he would love you. And then for our church, I pray that we would love Jesus more than we love anything of this world. Even in every romantic relationship in our lives, Jesus has to come first. Because when we love him with our first and our best, when we love him more than anything, we can love others the way he loves us. And we're shown who to love like. We're shown to love like Jesus in this passage, right? And we're shown how to love. Because Jesus gave himself up for us. That's our pattern of love. So when you love someone, you give yourself up for them. You don't love to get. You love to give. And that's why it says in 1 John 4, 12, if you'll move right down with me, it says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, it's made complete. If we only receive God's love, God's revelation of his love to this world is incomplete. It's incomplete. So it has to come full circle and not us receiving his love, but also reflecting his love. That's how God's love is shown to this world, by us receiving the work of Jesus and then us loving. That's why John, the the disciple whom Jesus loved, was so radically transformed by it. That's why he called the church in the gospel of John, in John 1, 1 John, and 2 John, and 3 John, and the whole book of Revelation is calling people into the love of Jesus. We're shown that. So, how do we do this? Well, every one of us, every one of us needs a transformation. And it's got to come from God. Everything you need, God supplies. So, there, there's going to need to be a transformation in all, our, all of our lives from showing up, hoping to get, to sharing your life with an opportunity to give. This must be a work of the Holy Spirit in my life and in yours, or we're going to die trying. (laughs) And so there's three ways I'm going to suggest to you, you can reflect the love of Jesus. Number one, by serving. By serving, where you meet needs. And I think about um, some key friends in my life who... When I went through a difficult time about four years ago, man, they showed up and they just loved me. You know what? That changed me. That changed me. One of those friends is named Rick Tagg, and I have lunch with Rick every Tuesday. And we kind of process life together, and we're not only accountability partners, we just speak life into each other. And You know what? One of the things Rick does, every time I meet with him, towards the end of it, he goes, Hey, is there anything else I can help you with? Every time he does it, I just get guilt in my mind. I go, poof, man, here he is loving me again, and I can't love him. And it bothers me a little bit, but you know what? That's what he shows up on the scene, and when you do that, people change. Our involvement in the Highcrest neighborhood, where a typical child living in the Highcrest neighborhood, 94% of them are living in poverty, and yet we just show up. We're not rocket scientists. There's much more for us to know. But through the NetReach group that we've joined with and partnered with there, things are starting to change. Things are starting to change there. We don't, we're not rocket scientists, so we just show up and like, 
for booking it. We show up and 80 of you have signed up for that. And you go and you spend a lunch hour reading. And things are changing. There's a difference in that neighborhood. Why? Because we showed up and we served. There's a difference when you show up. There's a physical difference that happens. And there's a spiritual transformation that happens inside of each of us when we show up. That's why we send people on these short-term mission trips. We sent over 100, and, 100 people this past year on a mission trip to show up and to serve because God transforms us when we meet one person and we decide to love them. Before we show up, it's a problem. It's a problem. When we show up, it's a person. See that? That's how God decides to love. He uses his church to go and love. We have to be willing to do that by serving. You think about this uh, opportunity with the bridge of you going and mentoring. Folks, that's an opportunity for you to serve the love of Jesus. To give up a lunch hour to go and be with a student and show the love of Jesus. Secondly, by speaking. Do you know you can make a difference with your words on how you love they need to be balanced in truth and love. Some of us are really good at speaking the truth and we stink at speaking love. Others of us just don't want conflict so we only focus with love and we ignore the truth. We need both. We need to be balanced in both. And when you speak, your words make a difference. I don't know about you, but I still remember some of the negative words that were spoken to me during my childhood. Still do. It's like a little MP3 player going off. Whenever I mess up, I hear that. I hear that. And it affects how I view life around me. We've got to tell people we love them. You've got to tell if you're married, your spouse, you love her, you love him. You've got to tell your children you love them, that you're committed on their worst day and their best day. You've got to show them the love of Jesus. Your words make a difference. And here's what I want you to do. Just commit to as many times as the Holy Spirit says, hey, you need to tell me you love them. Say it. Say it. I've had times where my wife was going through a difficult day and I can't understand it. The Holy Spirit like said, Joe, tell her you love her. Give her a hug. And, and I've just gone, no. <laughs> I've got to do the next task. Or I've got to get the kid in the car and take him to the soccer practice or whatever it is. Stop. Stop. When the Holy Spirit tells you to love them, say it. Because it matters. And I know love is one of the most overused words. Okay? We, we love ice cream. Okay? And we love all those other... But when you love someone, it shows you're committed. Revive, redeem that word in your family, in your relationships. And then by sacrificing... You can serve, you can speak, but love is costly. It's costly. It's going to cost you something, but love does it willingly. That's why Paul calls it a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. If you love someone, it will cost you. Love, lust seeks to steal things away from others. Love stays and it endures. Some of it changes by altering your agenda for the needs of others. Some of it is just spontaneous. It can show spontaneous love that when something happens, you can be someone who sacrifices your time, 
Sacrifice is a resource you have to love. Just in a simple act, there was this place in northern Wisconsin that my family always goes to when we're up there. It's called the Dairy Maid. And uh, we go there, and it's not tremendously great ice cream. We just go because we like to take a ride and look for deer, and occasionally we'll see a bear and things like that when we go. But but we went to this Dairy Maid, and when I was was, um, in my 20s, we went to this Dairy Maid. And I just remember this family, and they pulled up in an old rickety station wagon. You knew it was the big night for the family. They went there and each of the kids lined up. They ordered ice cream. And one of these fourth graders who was rambunctious in this family, looked like a fourth grader at least, he, he ordered a large and they bought him a large. And his mom is the last one to order and she orders this little small cone and she sits down and she goes, hey, come on and forget his name. Just sit down next to me. He came back and he slumped back and he slumped back. His whole large cone went plop right onto the ground. You know what she did? She just did it like this. See? That's spontaneous sacrifice. And if we aren't doing it in the little things, we won't do it in the big things. What would you do if your kid did that? What are you doing? Come on, get the napkins and clean it. Go back to the car. <laughs> you know? That's what's welling up within me when those things kind of happen. She just went, Whoop. and she didn't go buy a new one. Just did that. See, love takes sacrifice. You sacrifice with your kids. You have no idea the sacrifice you're going to have when your child is born. It's called sleep deprivation. You have no idea how much that kid's going to cost when they're, they, they start driving and they become under your insurance and your insurance rates double. And then they get the accident and they quadruple. It's kind of like if you go back to the time where the doctor offers you that baby, you know, he never says, do you realize how much this kid is going to cost you? And then they want to go to a private college, you know? No, we don't think of the cost because love wins, right? Love wins over all those costs. It sacrifices still. All of us have been changed by sacrifice. You make a difference when you sacrifice. This is how you're loved unconditionally, sacrificially, eternally. This is how you love. You model a serving, speaking, sacrificing love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for fully knowing us and completely loving us through Jesus Christ. Lord, you invite us to know and to grow in your love by how we love you and how we love others. So, Lord, work in each of us in the many environments and opportunities this next week to serve. May we serve like Jesus, who doesn't seek to be served, but to serve and to give our lives like Jesus, who speak just like Jesus spoke to us and told us of your love for us. May we model in our words your love. And Lord, through all the little events to sacrifice for you this week, may we be willing to sacrifice so that your love could be greater in us and in others. For it's in the name of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith that I pray. Amen.